We're going to be in Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. Everybody needs a Bible, so if you didn't bring one under the chair in front of you, is one of these black colored Bibles. We're going to be on page 844. Mark chapter 8. We want you to be able to see that. I want to remind you, uh, for those of you that have jumped in, and maybe if you haven't jumped in but you're interested in uh, jumping in, tonight is our, uh, our, our freedom group where we're coming together and exploring the theme of what it means to be free in Christ. What are the foundational elements of what it means to be free? How is, what has Christ done in terms of setting us free? And then how can we begin to live that out on an everyday basis? So we'd love for you to come be a part of that. We'll be here at five o'clock. We have uh, children's ministry for your kiddos uh, during that time. We go, only go to about 6.15. Uh, and so we'd love for you to come and hang out with us. All right, Mark chapter eight. We are in the middle of our series called Marked. And we are watching and seeing Jesus uh, and what he did and what, what happens when people encounter Jesus. And uh, the, the crux of this series is this, that Jesus uh, ministered in many different ways and he went all throughout. And Mark is the book of all, above all others captures just what Jesus actually did. So that's what we're looking uh, at. We're gonna take some time just to in, engage in that this, uh, this morning. So uh, let's pray. Father, we just want to come with our hands open to receive from you. We're asking now for just these this few brief moments here that you would come and that you would speak and that you would open our eyes and that you'd open our ears and you would do what only you can do and that's reveal. Show us who you are. Show us what you're like. We love you so much, and we're so thankful for this moment. Would you come near to us, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've been going through this series, and it's been uh, a lot of fun, and we're gonna come to a pivotal moment, this almost turning moment uh, in the book of, of Mark, where we see that uh, after this moment that we, we, we kind of come on the other side of the hill of, this, of Jesus going towards uh, his ultimate uh, destination, which is going to be the cross. And, but this is the pivotal moment that we see in Scripture. And I want us just to take a look at it. Mark chapter 8. Uh, we're gonna, just going to start in verse 27. Uh, Jesus, verse 27, Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asks the disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. And others say, Elijah. And others, one of the prophets. Now, important just moment of clarity here. What are the people saying? They're giving lots of different answers uh, about who Jesus might be. They're saying, well, maybe this, this is John the Baptist. They're, they're, they know, they're, they know uh, just from their own scriptures that there's uh, someone who's gonna come in the spirit of Elijah. Elijah's gonna come, so they're asking maybe, is that who he is? But no one yet is saying that he's the Messiah. Nobody's saying it's because Jesus hasn't chosen one. They're the, the one that was going to come. And the reason is, is because Jesus hasn't sat on the throne yet. So nobody's looking at him through that lens. And so Jesus comes to this pivotal moment where he asks probably the most prominent question 
that Jesus could ever ask. And probably the most uh, powerful question, if Jesus were to look even us in the face and he asked this question, look at verse 29. He says, well, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. Christ meaning the anointed one. He's saying you are the Messiah. And then Jesus strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Now listen, there are lots and lots of conclusions that people can come to about Jesus. Lots of conclusions. He's truly powerful. He's truly gracious. He's truly righteous. He's wonderful. He's unparalleled in virtue and morality. He's truly a gifted teacher. He's a gifted philosopher. He's a great lover of people. He's kind. He's giving. You can say all of those things about Jesus, but not say that he's the king. You can have lots of great and amazing thoughts, and this is what the people are saying. Listen, there's lots of greatness about Jesus, but the question is, is, is he the king? Who do you say that I am? This is that question that gets really, really personal. And he's looking into the eyes of, in this case and in this moment, he's looking into the eyes of his disciples. And Peter's the one that speaks up. He's the spokesman for the 12, but they're all thinking this. And he looks at them and he, said, and, and he says, we believe that you are the Christ. You're the anointed, you're the, you're the answer. And what we find out is that Jesus actually, from Matthew, he says, listen, this, that, this is true and only the Father could reveal this to you. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse three says, listen, no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So Jesus actually looks and he says, listen, you've got the right answer. This is who I am. I'm more than just a gifted philosopher, teacher, a kind person, or even a healer. I am the answer. I am the king. And you have understood this. And so he says, listen, I'm glad and I'm thankful that you see this. But what we're gonna see is that there's a, there's a problem. There's an intersection that's about to take place because there is this disconnect that we see from who we say Jesus is and what it actually means for our lives. Meaning this, it's one thing for us to say, you're the King and the Messiah. It's one thing to say you're truly the answer to the cry of our heart. It's an entirely different thing for what that will actually mean in our lives. And this is exactly what we're gonna find Peter wrestling with himself. Because Jesus is gonna say, listen, it takes the Holy Spirit to reveal to you that I am the chosen one. But this is what it's going to mean. And this is what it's going to not just mean for me, but it's also going to mean for you. Look at verse 31. So he begins to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. 
But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. That's what everyone would always love to hear from Jesus, right? For you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Listen, here Jesus is gonna do something. He's gonna give some real clarity to what it means to be the anointed one. To, to, to be here, this is what it actually means for me to be the answer, and that's this. I'm going to die. I'm going into the grave. Now listen, this is so far outside of their expectation of what Jesus is going to do. And it doesn't matter how much we see in Isaiah and we see in Daniel that it's clear that the Messiah is going to suffer. It's clear from the, their own scriptures, this was going to be a part of what the Messiah would do. It had not come into their collective conscience. The idea that the Messiah was going to suffer and die was so far outside of the box of what they thought was true and what was going to happen about the Messiah. So much so, Peter lashes out at Jesus. It says he rebukes him. Now, listen, this is the same word that we have in the scripture for when Jesus casts out a demon. The same power and the same ferocity with which Jesus casts out a demon, this is the attitude that Peter has towards Jesus, meaning he's saying, that's not what the Messiah does. That's not the plan. That's not how this is supposed to go. You don't understand. And, he, and he, he goes at him, says, no way. Listen, you're wrong now. I don't, know, have, I don't know if you've ever had the experience of finding somebody in a place of authority and telling them they're wrong, right? Because you, maybe you feel some indignation rise up in a moment and you're like, you're wrong. And then you go, oh, that was maybe not a good idea, right? Have you ever been that, in that place before? And, and so... Peter lashes out and says, that, that's not how it goes for, that's not the plan for the Messiah. That's not how this thing is supposed to unveil. Now listen, Peter thinks he understands the plan. He's got the plan in place. He's got this thing calculated out, right? He understands how this thing is supposed to go. Now we all know about planning. We love to plan things. Some of you really love to plan things like making notes and checking boxes and lists and planning things. We love to plan things. I'm not even one of those people that likes to make lists and check boxes necessarily, but I love to plan things. We plan everything. We plan all kinds of stuff. We plan vacations, right? Where we're gonna go, places we're gonna stop and eat at, places that we're gonna stay. We plan those things out. We plan our finances out. Hey, how much do we have to make? We, there's literally a whole industry called financial plan, a whole industry, people financially plan things. Hey, we have to make a certain amount of money to be able to retire at this particular age and th this particular time, right? We plan weddings meticulously. I mean, full on planning. We plan so much. There's a show called Bridezilla's where you just watch ladies who don't see their plans coming together and how much they freak out. That's how much we plan things. We see it all the time, planning and planning and planning, right? In many ways, just, there, we, we are a society in many ways of control freaks. 
We like to. We like to, you know, some people like to maybe use that moniker, I'm a control freak, or, or, or those people that are super chilled out are like, oh, you're a control freak. But of course, if you mess up with, the, the person that's super chilled out, if you mess up with their chill, if you mess with their chill, then they go crazy because they're control freaks about their chill. So everybody's a control freak, okay? We love the idea of controlling and planning and being able to put the plan in place. And I want you to hear this. Listen, planning is not a bad thing. It's not a wrong thing in any way. But Jesus is going to drill down right to the center and he's gonna say this. Listen, after you've made your plans, is it okay if the king comes and smashes those? It's okay to plan, it's not a wrong thing. But is it okay if I come in and I stir and I meddle and I change? Because there's a truth that God wants his people to see, and that's this. There's man's plans and there's God's plans. And Jesus, because he's good, loves to get in and begin to deal with that heart place. Who is calling the shots? Because Peter has this thing figured out. He's like, all right, I get it. You are the Messiah. Here's how this thing is gonna go down. We're gonna overthrow the Roman government. We're gonna get them out of Judea. Then we're gonna tell all of the stuffy, religious, horrible guys to get out of the way. You're gonna sit on the throne and I'm gonna be one of the 12 most important people in the entire nation. He's got it. He sees the chess pieces. He's moving them around. So when Jesus says, I'm gonna die and I'm going to suffer many things, Peter's going, that's a horrible plan. Don't do that. That's a, don't, that's a bad plan. Because see, here, Peter sees this great, he's got this great plan in place. And he sees all of Judea coming up under the lordship of the Messiah. The Messiah is gonna come back and restore his people. And he's going, this is an amazing plan. And the problem is, is Jesus goes, listen, Peter, I've got a bigger and better plan. I don't know if you've ever looked at Judea on a map. Now, this is the, the best, best map I could totally give you because I just wanted you to be able to see the entire earth. Here's the whole world, okay? And then right up above, um, right up above Africa, so see there, and it, it's the Mediterranean Sea. And right as it comes to the end, as you go east to the end, I'd need a laser pointer. Every pastor needs a laser pointer. I figured this out. Uh, right as you come into, there's a tiny, 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 tiny speck, and that's called Israel, all right? Right in that spot, that's Israel. And Peter's going, I want you to take over and rule that this is going, this is an amazing plan. And you know what Jesus says? Hey, Peter, you don't get it. I, my plan is to win the hearts of Israel, but guess what? All those people in Africa, I want them to be my people. And all those people in Asia, I want them to be my people. And all those people in India, I want them to be my people. And all those people down in Australia, I want them to be my people. Right, mate? Amen? All right? I just said that just for you. All right. All right. He's like, I want those people, mate. Sorry, that's not what he said. But it just, in my mind. 
in New Zealand. All right, all right. We got any other, uh, New Zealand. Anybody else? Yeah. Spain, yeah, Spain. Brazil. Yeah, Canada, even Canada. Man, you know Jesus is good when he's going, I want Canada, all right? No, all right, just kidding, I love, I love Canada, all right. Do you see, Peter has the best laid plan. I've got this thing figured out. And Jesus saying, dude, I've got a plan that is going to blow your mind. I want them all. I am not content on this tiny sliver on the edge of the Mediterranean. I want the whole thing in my family. I'm gonna draw all of them. And it's just possible that we'll find ourselves making plans that are broken and less than. They look amazing to us. And Jesus is looking and saying, hey, I've got something greater. I have bigger. I have better. It's beyond what you can comprehend, but you're going to have to trust me. And here's what you have to trust, is that in order to touch the world, I have to die. It's not going to look the way that you might want it to. In fact, it's possible that God's plan for you and I looks like we're going backwards. There was a three-day window where Peter's in all-out shame running, all of the disciples. It looks like the work of Jesus is going backwards. It looks like the plan isn't working very well at all. So Jesus is, is wanting to drill down and ask that question, not just of Peter or the disciples, but of every one of us. Listen, I understand that you, you call me the anointed one and the Messiah, but are you okay if I'm also the one that's in control? Are you okay if I'm the one that's calling the shots? Are you okay? because that's what this thing comes down to. Because at the end of the day, if the Messiah or the King isn't the one who's calling the shots, then all he is is a genie. If Jesus is King, but we're coming to him with our plans, then ultimately we're looking for a genie. And I think in many ways we can, if we're not careful, we can put God into a box and, and, and ask him to do our plan. And what Jesus is saying is, that I need you to trust me. Now, uh, we had some family in town. I got to take my kids to see the movie, the remake, Aladdin. It's really good, really, really good movie. Will Smith did awesome, but let's be honest, nobody can touch Robin Williams. Let's be honest, okay? But... Great movie, all right, great picture. All the power in the world. Jeannie has all the, the whole, in fact, the premise of the movie, all right, you've got all the power in the world as a genie, but if you aren't calling the shots, then you're, you're no king, you're a slave. Church, one of the most scary things I can possibly think of is to come to God, see him in all his power, but not be willing to say you're also king. Because ultimately, if he isn't king and he isn't calling the shots in our lives, then we've made God essentially a slave. Power to do all the things that I want you to do for me. 
That's a that's not a dangerous, it's a it's not a dangerous place, it's a broken place to be. And so as always, and I think as we've seen, as we've, even as we've been going through this series, is that Jesus isn't willing to go without dealing with the heart issue. It's one thing to say, you're the king, you're the Messiah. It's an entirely different thing for him to rule in control, to lead, and for us to follow. That's what he's looking at, and that's what he's calling us into. In this moment, in this case, when God says, listen, the plan is for suffering, and the plan is for difficulty, it almost, at least at this, at this, the indication here from scripture is that it's infuriating to Peter, and he's not okay with that plan. And so if we come to the Lord and we say that he's king, but he isn't actually king, then ultimately what he ends up being is a pawn to get him to, to do the things that we need. And that's not, I don't believe that's the direction that any of us wanna go, or that's not the place we wanna be. So there's a huge difference of coming to the Lord for direction for our lives versus negotiating for what we can have. You don't, you don't come to a king negotiating, right? When you come to a king, what do you do? You bow down, you take your sword and you place it and you say, what would you have me do? You come to a king to negotiate, you don't see him as a king. And this is the ultimate question that Jesus is dealing with for every one of us. Do we, are we coming to a pawn to fix our lives, to make us good and well and whole, or are we coming to a king who has a plan that is beyond us and he's calling us to obey? And so the question becomes, well, why? Why is it better to follow Jesus? Why is it better to follow him? Why is it better? Why is his way better? And I would say this, why is his way better? Especially in this moment where it includes suffering. It includes difficulty. It includes sacrifice. Sometimes maybe you've sought to follow the plan of God and it seems harder or less fun. And you feel the weight of that. Why your way and not my way? And the answer is super simple. Because every single solitary decision that God makes is 100% fully backed by a sacrificial, unconditional love for us. Every one of them. Meaning this, there's not one thing, there's not one call, there's not one decision that God makes for our lives that isn't fully invested to bring us to the wholeness in him. Not one. He's always angling for our good, even if it seems like we're going backwards, even if it doesn't feel like it's lining up with getting launched out to do great and amazing things. Everything that he does is 100% untainted in his love for us. It's who he is, it's what he does, right? And at the end of the day, isn't that why we control things in the first place? You ever thought about why we actually, what, what are we actually trying to control? When we, when we struggle, when we try to put plans together, have you ever thought about that? What we actually really want is just to 
be unconditionally loved. Everything that we're trying to grapple for is just to make sure that we feel the, that measure of security that says, I'm okay. And what we see from Jesus is, listen, he's the only place you can go to be fully and unconditionally loved. Only place. Now listen, I, I, th I thank God for all the relationships we have in this life. They're amazing, right? I thank God for spouses and for kids and for friends and all of the different relationships we can have. Guess what? No one can love you unconditionally, perfectly unconditionally. No one. You don't know why? Because every one of us has a voracious appetite to be unconditionally loved. And the problem is this, is unconditional love has no hooks to it whatsoever. Unconditional love is able to come and say, I can love you completely and utterly without expecting anything back in return from you. This is what unconditional love. The only way that we can come with unconditional love is to say, I'm taking off the expectations. And the only one who could do that is God. You wanna know why? Because he is not in any way, form or fashion deficient in love. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit have been fully in love from the from before the foundation of the earth. They fully have it. They fully own it. So he's fully able to give it away. He has no need. There's no need in him. So he can come and fully and unconditionally love so that when you and I are in that place longing for that, God answers it fully and completely. That's what we want. We want to be loved. And when we put our head on our pillow at night, we want to feel peace. Guess what? The only place, the only true source for total and complete and utter peace is Jesus. He's the only one who can give it. He's the only one who can offer it. He's the only one. When you and I have failed, when we have a broken conscience for the ways that we've fallen short, ways that we've hurt people, ways that we've cheated, ways that we tried to control circumstances or situations or ways that we've manipulated, where we try to look like we're operating in a place of peace, but we really aren't, when we find ourselves in that place, there's only one place where real peace comes from. It comes from the one who's able to fully forgive because there's no, there's no brokenness in him. He gives peace. He loves, he gives peace. And ultimately he gives purpose. He answers the cry of the heart. I wanna matter. He's the answer. Want to know why his control is better than ours? Because he's always working for us, answering the cry of our heart for love, peace, and purpose. It's what he does. It's who he is. And so the question becomes this, then how do we let go of control? That's the question. We understand the why. The question is, how do we let go of control? I'm glad you asked that question because he's going to answer that question for us. Okay? Here's the answer. Look at verse 34 calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life, lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world 
and forfeit his soul. Here's what Jesus is saying. I know what you want and I know what you're looking for. You're looking for life to the full, maxed out. That's what you're looking for. Meaning I know that you're looking to be loved unconditionally, to have peace and covering, to have purpose and design. I know what you're looking for. And if you want fullness of life, if that's the longing of your heart, everything that you have desired, listen, I have it for you. And here's how you get it. You have to lose it. And you go, man, that, that feels a little upside down. That, may, that might feel even a little bit backwards. But you understand in our culture, everything that, our culture says basically everything that you want, you have to either attain or achieve or acquire. And if you'll do those things, then you will ha you'll have yourself, right? You'll, you'll have value. If we attain, if we acquire, if we get, if we arrive, when we do those things, then we end up having worth and value. All right, our culture says basically, uh, unless uh, you gain a fulfilling career that brings money or reputation or status, unless you have those things, then you can't have, uh, unless you acquire those things, then you don't have worth or value. Doesn't really matter what culture you end up in. Ultimately, every culture in some way, form, or fashion says that your identity is performance-based, it's achievement-based. Every culture you get to, at some, in some way, form, or fashion, says you've got to arrive. And Jesus is saying here, listen to me, that, it does, that doesn't work. The achievement and attainment thing, it never works. And the reason it doesn't work is this, because you and I have a, an ocean-sized chasm that can never be filled by all the people and all the things. We'll keep looking for the next thing to acquire or the next thing to achieve. It's a bottomless bucket that can't be filled by anything in this life. No matter how many of those things you gain, no matter how much, it's never enough to make us sure of who we are. So when it comes to finding our identity and understanding our life, whoever wants his life, wants to gain his life will lose it, must lose it. If we're building our identity on, on, well, if this person loves me or building it on the career, if I've got this career, if any of those things goes wrong, what happens? We end up feeling a void. So Jesus says this, all the pursuit of your life and your heart, will you come to me? Will you come to me? So what does it mean to take up our cross? It means this. God, I'm coming to you and I, these are all the things that I wanna hold on to for worth and value. These are all the things that are going to make me feel fulfilled. These are all the ways that I need to feel loved and have worth and value. These are all the things that I hold on to in order to make me feel okay or essentially to make me feel like I have life. And to deny ourselves and to take up our cross and follow him 
is to take these things and to drop them, to turn our palms up in the air and say, I come to you is the answer to life. Now here's what I want, I need everybody to hold your hands out. Everybody hold your hands out here, okay? Listen, when you and I come, when we come to this place, what Jesus is looking to pray, we, we kind of look like a motorcycle gang right now. I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't even intend that, but it's amazing. So yeah, that's, fine. that's good. You can go ahead and rev it up. Okay, all right, <laughs> sorry, all right. Listen, when we come with these things, here, this is where we come before the Lord. And here's, when we get honest before the Lord and say, hey, here are the things that seem to give me worth value. Here's all the things that I think give me life. Uh, When we come before him to deny ourselves is to say, listen, I, I don't want to call the shots on what gives me worth and value. I don't want that anymore. I'm gonna drop, so drop those things. I'm gonna take my hands, I'm gonna open them up, and now I'm coming to you. Now, here's what's beautiful. When you and I come open-handed, we're actually now free to live, free to receive, all right? Hands wide open. All right, you can put your hands in because you know you're, this, is, this is getting awkward at some point in time, right? But we come to this place and we say, listen, when I'm here and I come to you, Jesus, when I'm, this is when I'm maximum, this is when I am most free to be able to come and say, I'm coming to you is the answer. The one who is calling the shots in my life. And what ironically happens, this is what the scripture's saying, Ironically, what happens when we open our hands up to come to Jesus for this, we actually find life. We, f- we actually find ourselves, if you will. Meaning this, you're the most amazing you when you drop you and open your hands up to have Jesus. Like, and, and understand, this, is, this isn't some kind of Eastern philosophy where Jesus is saying, listen, all that you are, your personality needs to go away. No, listen, who you are, the way God has wired you, your personality, your gifts, talents, and ability, these are all beautiful things. Jesus isn't saying you have to somehow empty yourself of you because he doesn't say in order to lose your life, you need to lose your life. What he says is in, or if you wanna gain life, then you, lo- you lose it. You turn your hands over and you come to me and I give you life. He's not saying uh, loss of who you are. He's saying, I'm gonna take you and all that I've put in you and I want you to be free, full to love, to give, to, to move, to see uh, change, to see things move from the inside out. I want, you to, I want to be able to see you uh, walking in, in works of transformation. It's what God wants to do. That when we come to him, we're not coming to him to say, Lord, would you make me an awesome new moral person, right? That's achievement again. What we're doing is we're not, we're not coming to say, listen, I'm coming to you for a new way, a new way of morality. That's achievement-based. What we're saying is, Lord, we come to you to have you. And when we have you, we're free free to be all that you've called us to be and made us to be. This is what it means. I have to die so that you might live in me and through me. 
you taking all the gifts, talents, and abilities and changing the world around me. I love them. In fact, we'll finish with this. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis out of Mere Christianity. Here's what he says. He says, listen, nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you will find in the, long, uh, in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ and you'll find him and with him everything else thrown in. Everything in us gotta go into the grave. When he says, take up your cross, says you're, we're all going into the grave together. And the person we're coming to is Jesus and it's in that place he fills and he gives purpose and meaning and value. This is what God wants to do. This is the exchange that he makes. This is what he wants to do in our lives. This is the exchange he's calling us to, is to make that exchange, to drop and to open our hands up and to come to the source for life. Not my life, Lord, but yours. Not my way, but yours. Father, I ask right now in the name of Jesus, just as we close this moment, I'm asking for supernatural ability, Lord, to be able to drop the things that we hold on to, the places that we tried to control, the places that we have tried to own for ourselves. When you say, take up your cross and follow me, Lord, we wanna walk with you right into the grave, knowing that there's life everlasting with you and in you. So Lord, we call you king. But more than just calling you king, Lord, we're asking, Lord, would you be king? Would you speak? Would you lead? We wanna relinquish control, not my way, but yours. I drop, and you might just even where you're at. So here are the things, Lord, I'm gonna let go of. I'm gonna turn my hands over and receive you. You're the answer. I thank you, God, that that's what you do. You give us power to come to you with hands wide open. We wanna trust you in new ways today. We wanna trust you with fresh eyes today, not on ourselves, not on our own way, but in yours. We bless you. We thank you. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Amen. You guys stand. We're going to finish with our benediction. Close out here. We're going to have some prayer partners down front. And uh, they would love to just pray with you about anything going on in your life, anything you're walking through. Uh, we'd love just to be able to stand with you and encourage you, pray with you. Uh, and so uh, don't lose, don't miss the opportunity just to connect and pray uh, with our prayer partners after the service. It, again, if you feel comfortable, we like to do lots of this, but if you feel comfortable, hold your hands out. I'm just going to, I'm going to pray a blessing over us as we go. You don't have to do this, but I'm going to pray just that God would fill us this week. Father, would you bless and keep us? Would you make your face shine upon us? Be gracious to us. Would you lift up your countenance upon us and give us peace? Lord, may we relinquish control and trust you this week. Our hands are wide open to listen to you and to walk with you in all that you have, in all that you are, because you're the source of life.
We love you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Blessings, guys. Love you. We'll see you tonight. Five o'clock.